Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. I'm so glad you're here today. Grab a worship guide if you have one. Flip it over to the back. We are continuing our series teaching through the book of Hebrews. And today we come to Hebrews chapter 8. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 8 or your smartphone or your tablet. You can follow along. Last Sunday we were in Hebrews chapter 7 and we, we looked at the Old Testament priest. And in chapter 8 really today it is a continuation of, uh, of chapter 7. It continues right into chapter 8. And we see that Jesus... Jesus came to be a better high priest, and Jesus came to bring us a better and a new covenant. Now, the word covenant is not something that we use a whole lot today. As a matter of fact, it's, it's probably a word that when I say it, a lot of you say, we, we don't really talk about that. We don't use that word a whole lot. However, uh, this past week, I Googled the word covenant just to, to see what was out there. And in 0.7 seconds, Google sent back 117 million hits for the word covenant. So, so a word that we don't use a whole lot. Uh, really, there, there's a lot out there when it comes to covenant. D- d- let, me, let me give you just a frame of reference on that, okay? I Googled the word Atlanta Braves, or the two words Atlanta Braves, and 61 million hits came up. I Googled the word Tennessee and 426 million hits came up. So covenant land somewhere in there between the Atlanta Braves and the state of Tennessee. Okay. Uh, 117 million hits for that word. But a simple definition today, and it's there on your notes, a simple definition for a covenant is this. It's an agreement, usually formal and binding, between two or more people uh, to do or not to do something specified. Now, let me ask you, how many of you have ever been in a covenant before? You don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to think, because here's the deal, probably more of you than you realize have agreed to some sort uh, of a covenant. How many of you have a smartphone? Just lift your hand up if you've got a smartphone. If you've got a smartphone, you've been in a covenant before because the terms and agreements that you have uh, agreed to with your smartphone uh, have, uh, <laughs> are there every single time you download an app. I've got probably probably 130 to 150 different apps on my phone. And every single time I downloaded one of those from the app store, what did they ask me to do? Would you click on this to agree to our what? Terms and conditions. That's a covenant. And most of the time, we don't even read those, do we? Uh, Just go ahead and shake your head like this. Probably nobody in this room's ever even read all the way through uh, terms and agreement on any uh, of those things. But, But let me give you an idea of some of the things that you 
have agreed to uh, when it comes to those. If you are on Twitter or have had Twitter in the past and have agreed to their terms and conditions, whether you still have that Twitter account or whether you have deactivated it, every single thing that you have put on there, they own. And it's their property now. Whether you still have an account with them or not, you agreed to say everything I ever put on there, my pictures, everything, it's now your property. Uh, iTunes. Uh, most of us have some sort of an iTunes account. Did you know that even though you pay iTunes every single month or for songs like we used to a long time ago, that's not your property. You just pay for the ability to be able to listen or to watch uh, their, their material, but it doesn't belong to you. As a matter of fact, you agreed that they could take it off of your phone whenever they wanted to. That was in the terms and conditions that you agreed to. If you're on Facebook, uh, the same, same goes there. When you agreed to their terms and conditions to have a Facebook account, you agreed that no matter what you put on there, no matter what pictures you put on there, it's now their property. And they can do whatever they want with your pictures. Those beach pictures that you posted from last year, they can do whatever they want with those. They could use those in an ad for a weight loss commercial if they wanted to. Uh, they could take a picture of me and use it for a hair loss commercial if they wanted to. They could can do whatever they want because you clicked on the I agree to your terms and conditions. Maybe in your uh, car you have OnStar. Anybody have OnStar in your car? Uh, it lets uh, it's, uh, let the people know if you have had an accident, let the, the authorities know if you've had an accident. Well, when you agree to OnStar, you agree to let them track you how fast you're going, where you're going, anything like that. And they're able to sell that if they want to. Now, all of those examples of a covenant that I just gave you are negative things, but actually covenants in life are very important and they can be very, very positive things as well. If you're married, you have agreed into a covenant relationship with your spouse where you made promises to your spouse of things that you would do or things that you wouldn't do and you entered into a covenant when we built this building, uh, we entered into a covenant with our, our builder, with the contractor. We sat down in a room and he said, I will give the material and the labor and you will give the money and we'll come together for a contract and agreement and he fulfilled his end and we fulfilled our end and we get to enjoy the benefit of that every single Sunday when we come together and we worship. So covenants uh, are good things as well. Now, if you read through the Bible long enough, you are going to come across the word covenant. You're going to see the covenants are in the Bible. And we find that God uh, doesn't make a whole lot of covenants. He made some covenants uh, it, but it, it, with different people in the Old Testament specifically. But God doesn't, when he does make a covenant, he doesn't take it as lightly as we do when it comes to terms and conditions. As you read through the Bible, some major covenants that God made. God made a covenant with Noah. He made a covenant with Abraham, with Moses, with King David. And in the New Testament, where we're gonna be this morning, uh, you see that God made a new covenant with us as his people. And now new doesn't refer to, uh, it, it doesn't refer to new in time, but new and improved. And we're gonna see that in just a few moments. Now, in keeping with the theme of Hebrews, we're gonna to get to chapter eight, in keeping with the theme of Hebrews of greater than, that Jesus is greater than, uh, as we look in this passage, I want to remind you that the entire Bible, and this is very, very important, the entire Bible has just one theme. There's one theme through the entire Bible. Look at the person sitting next to you and say, there's just one theme. Just say that, just, there's just one theme. 
There's just one theme in the entire Bible. And I want you to see what it is. It's there on your notes. It's gonna come up on the screen behind me. In the Old Testament, we have Jesus predicted. In the Gospels, we have Jesus revealed. In the book of Acts, we have Jesus preached. In the epistles, which Hebrews is one of, we have Jesus explained. And in the book of Revelation, we have Jesus expected. And the totality of the Bible, the entire Bible has one theme, and that theme is, say it out loud, it's Jesus, okay? The whole theme, the theme of the entire Bible is Jesus. Everybody say it out loud. The theme of the entire Bible is, it's all about Jesus, and so as we get to Hebrews chapter eight, the, the, the writer has renewed passion about the fact that Jesus is greater. Now, I've got a little uh, quote there for you on your notes, and it's this. The story of Jesus is not a Bible story, okay? I, I don't want you to miss that this morning. The story of Jesus is not a Bible story, the story of Jesus is why we have the Bible, okay? The reason that we have this Bible is because we want to learn and to know, and God wants us to know the story of Jesus. And the whole Bible has one theme, and it's Jesus. Now, chapter eight begins in a very, very interesting way. The writer says this, the point in what we are saying is this. That's how he starts off chapter eight. Now, as you read through chapter seven, which we were in chapter seven last week, and we read about priests and high priests, a guy by the name of Melchizedek, you might ask the question, what's, what's the point of all of this? What, what's going on with all this? This whole chapter about priests and high priests and Melchizedek. And it's almost as if when we get to chapter eight, it's almost as if the writer anticipated that question. It was almost as if he said, well, We've gotten through all of this in chapter seven, and in case you're wondering, let me tell you what the point is of all of this that we've been talking about. Because verse number one of chapter eight reaches back into chapter seven, specifically in verse number 26 of chapter seven. You'll notice that the writer has said in chapter seven, verse number 26, that the, a high priest that was needed needed to have certain qualities. He says this in, in chapter seven, verse 26. He said the qualities are one that's holy, one that's innocent, one that's unstained, one that's separated from sinners, one that's exalted above the heavens. Now I have to imagine as the, 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 the original hearers were hearing this, they had to have been asking our, themselves the question, is there anybody like that? Is there a priest out there that's, that's separated from sinners, that's holy, that's innocent, that's unstained, that's exalted above the heavens? Is there anybody out there like that? And so the writer starts off chapter eight by saying, the point of what I'm telling you about all of that is this, we do have such a high priest. And that high priest is Jesus Christ himself. So as we read through chapter eight, this recurring theme of Jesus is better is there. And when he comes to chapter eight, man, he hits it with renewed emphasis in this chapter. So here's the first point that I want you to get this morning as we look at chapter eight. It's there on your notes. The ministry of Jesus as high priest is better. His ministry is better. That's what we're gonna look at first. Hebrews chapter eight, verse number one says this. Now the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest. Who is that? That's Jesus. One who's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. 
a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. After leading his people out of Egypt, God provided them with a very detailed description of how they were supposed to worship him. And and a significant part of those details were a a description of the setting aside of a group of people, particularly the tribe of Levi, to be priests. And and their job was to serve the Lord in in the tabernacle and later on in the temple. They were to offer sacrifices that were brought to them by the people. And out of this group of priests, there was one particular man that was chosen to be the high priest. And that one man had additional responsibilities on top of all the other responsibilities that the priest had. And he had this annual duty on behalf of all of God's people. It, it took place on the Day of Atonement, what we call Yom Kippur. And Leviticus chapter 16, if you kind of want to take notes and go back and look at that later, Leviticus chapter 16 describes in detail the responsibilities of the high priest on the Day of Atonement. And on this day, all of the sins of God's people would be recounted and they would be atoned for. Part of his duties was this, and it was, it's really, really interesting to go back and, and read and study this. The high priest would have two goats brought before him. One of the goats would be sacrificed for the sin of the people. The other goat, this is what they did with it. It's, it's really, really interesting. They would take a cord and they would would drape it around the goat's neck. The high priest would lay his hands on the goat's head and would out loud recount all of the times that God's people had sinned and had gone against God and and would would symbolically lay those sins on the head of that goat. That goat became known as a scapegoat. That's where we get to that word from today. The goat became known as a scapegoat. And then they would take the goat where they had laid all the sins on the goat and they would take the goat out into the desert and let it go symbolically being that the sins of God's people were being carried away by the scapegoat. But in Hebrews chapter eight, we're reminded that Jesus fulfilled this role. When Jesus came and paid the penalty on the cross for our sin, the sin of the world, this didn't have to take place anymore. Jesus became that, 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 ultimate, that, that ultimate scapegoat on our behalf. And it makes Jesus' ministry as high priest so much better. Look at verse number two. It tells us that Jesus is sitting down. And the reason that Jesus is sitting down is because his work now is finished. If you remember, in the Old Testament tabernacle, there were no seats, there were no chairs. And the reason for that is that the priests in the Old Testament, their work was never done. And it was a symbolic thing to say that the sacrifices that they were making were going to have to continually be made because they never once and for all took care of the sins of the people. So they, they never were able to sit down because their, their work was never done. The blood of of animals could never wash away man's sin until it was one day covered by the sin of Jesus Christ. But it says that Jesus takes his seat at the right hand of God's throne. Why? Because listen, the work of redemption is now done. And so 
when the high priests were in the tabernacle offering sacrifices for sins, they couldn't sit down because it was never done. It was going to have to continue. But once Jesus came and died, paid the penalty for our sin, became that ultimate scapegoat, Jesus now sits down because the work is done. Do you remember what Jesus cried out when he was on the cross? Do you remember? He said, it is finished. Why could Jesus say it is finished? The high priests in the Old Testament, they could not say that because they knew next year on the Day of Atonement, they were gonna have to do all this over again. And the next year on the Day of Atonement, they were gonna have to do all of this over again. But Jesus on the cross said, it's finished. I've done it all, I've taken care of it. I'm the ultimate scapegoat. Now listen, to add human works or good deeds to what Jesus did on the cross is a slap in the face of our Savior. Because Jesus said, I've done it all, I've taken care of it all, it is finished. Now not only is the fact that Jesus is seated important, but where he is seated is important too. It says that he's seated on the throne. This reveals Jesus' authority that Jesus has been given. He's God's right-hand man. And through this, we see God's faithfulness to Jesus to fulfill his promise. Psalm 110, verse number one. God said this in the Old Testament, sit at my right hand, speaking to Jesus, until I make your enemies your footstool. God's fulfilling his promise by where Jesus is now seated on his right hand. Verse two also shows us that not only uh, is Jesus a better priest, but he's serving in a better place. He serves in a place that wasn't built by men, it was built by God. Look at verse number three. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifice, thus it's necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. According to verse number three, the job of the high priest is to offer gifts and sacrifice. And since Jesus has ascended to heaven, there has to be a sanctuary there where he is. So his sanctuary is in heaven and he's not having to sacrifice all over again because what Jesus did was a once and for all sacrifice. Look at verse number five. He's talking about these sanctuaries. He says, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the, the, the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. The earthly priest, they served in a earthly sanctuary. And that was a copy, it was a shadow of the heavenly sanctuary. And we know that the copies are never as good as the original. Recently, I was doing a, a refinance on my house. And the bank that I was refinancing through, they literally asked me for a copy of every financial statement that I've ever held in the last 50 years, I think. They wanted a copy of everything. And I would copy and I would fax and I would take pictures and I would try to, well, it's, it's, that's not the right format that we need. We need it in the JPEG or the, the whatever. And I would send it and I would get emails back that said, we, we can't read it, it's too big, it's too small, it's too little, it's too blurry. And all of them, None of them worked because they were all just copies and it would work so much better if they'd have seen the real thing. There've been copies made of, uh, of famous paintings. There's a picture behind me of a side-by-side -side comparison of the real Mona Lisa and, and, and a fake. 
And one of those pictures is priceless. Why? Because it's genuine. It's the real deal. The other one is completely worthless because it's not real. It's just a copy. And since Jesus is serving in the original sanctuary, not the copy, he's serving in a better place. Which makes us ask, these writers ask, why would you go to a priest who's serving in a copied sanctuary when you can go to Jesus who's serving in the original? Would you rather have a toy Barbie dream house or the real Malibu dream house? Well, one of them's the real deal. And the other one's a toy that you can get for about 39 bucks. Would you rather have the toy version of McDonald's food? Or would you rather have a real Big Mac meal? I'm getting hungry just saying those words out loud. One's just a copy. And the Old Testament priests and the Old Testament tabernacle were just copies of the real thing. Now, the whole point of this morning's message is found in verse number six. If you don't get anything else out of what I say, get verse number six. This is what it says. The writer kind of encapsulates the whole chapter in one verse. He says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better Promises. Having read that verse, here's the second thing that I want you to get this morning. The covenant, not only the ministry of Jesus' high priest is better, but the covenant that Jesus establishes is better. Jesus came to establish a new covenant. Throughout the Old Testament, God made several covenants. Noah, Abraham, Moses, David. And some of these covenants were Condition covenants. You do this and I'll do this. Some were not based on a condition. God just said, I will do this. But many of those were conditions. Let me give you an example. Exodus 19, five and six says this. God speaking says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, there's the, the condition, what will I do? Then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests and holy nations. That was a conditioned covenant that God made. But what was the problem with these conditional covenants in the Old Testament? Here's the problem. Nobody, none of us can keep all of God's laws. We just can't do it. We're, we're sinners and we, we mess up and we make mistakes and the people in the Old Testament were exactly the same. Nobody could live up to God's standards. We're too weak. We can never live up to God's high standards. So Look at verse seven and eight, it explains this. It says, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second, for he finds fault with them. It's us that can't keep the Old Testament covenants of living up to God's high standards. So listen, when God solved that problem that us, we, we couldn't live up to that, he didn't leave us just to struggle, God took action and he made a new covenant. Look what he said in verse eight and nine. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish what? A new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no mercy for them, declares the Lord. Because the people were unfaithful to God, he turned away. But God didn't leave the situation like that. 
He fixed the problem and he made a new covenant that, listen, does not, listen, please don't miss this. God's new covenant does not depend on man's faithfulness. Look at verse number 10. For this is the covenant that I made with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. What, what is he gonna do? I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Which brings us to the third thing I want you to get. The promises in the new covenant that Jesus made are so much better. The old covenant was this. You do this, you keep my laws, you keep my commandments and then I'll do this. None of us could live up to that. And so Jesus brings a new covenant to us today to say, it's not dependent on your faithfulness anymore. It's going to be dependent upon my promises. I don't want you to miss this. The new covenant is based on the promises of God's grace. The emphasis in this new covenant, please hear me, is on what God will do, not what I do. Notice in just those couple verses, three times he uses the word, I will. I will. It's not what you will or you will or you will. It's God says, it's what I will do. And the new covenant does not depend on God's faithful or, or on man's faithfulness to God, but on God's faithful promises to man. You see, the problem in the Old Testament was not the law. The problem in the Old Testament was our sinful nature, because we can't keep God's law and the law of Moses could only declare God's holy standard and all it could do was point out where we missed it. But what we need is a new covenant that not just points it out, but gives us a new heart and a new attitude. That's what this new covenant that Jesus brought provides. The old law was external. It was about rules and about regulations. The new law was about the internal. It said, I'm gonna write my laws on your heart and on your mind so you can live them and know that the promises I've made are for you. Look at verse number 11. It says this, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest for I'll be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Man, I love those kind of co covenants. I'm going to be merciful. The Old Testament was about judgment. The Old Testament was about following the laws. The New Testament was about mercy and grace. New the New Covenant is based on the promise of forgiveness. Verse 12 says, I will be merciful towards their iniquities and will remember their sins no more. The law couldn't promise forgiveness to Israel. And it definitely couldn't promise forgiveness to us. But it was only through the sacrifice of Jesus that forgiveness is possible to all that will call on his name. The Old Testament law did this. It brought a remembrance of sin. The New Testament law, the New Testament covenant brings a remission of our sins. Hebrews 8, 12 tells us something amazing. God literally chooses not to hold our sins against us anymore. And I'm just saying amen to that. God chooses not to hold our sins against us anymore. 
he deals with us on the basis of grace and mercy, not law and merit. And once our sins have been forgiven, it's never brought up to us again. The matter is sealed for all of eternity. Look at verse number 13. He says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The Old Testament was, or the Old Covenant was still governing the nation of Israel at the time Hebrews was written. The temple was standing. The priests were still offering sacrifices. And devout Jews probably thought that their, their, their Christian friends were foolish. Why would you abandon, why would you abandon this solid religion for a faith that it seems intangible and the founder of this faith has just kind of disappeared. And what they didn't understand was that their solid religion had grown old and according to this verse was about to vanish away. As a matter of fact, in, in AD 70, the city of Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed by the Romans. And the Jews have not had a, a, a temple and a priesthood to serve ever since. But the new covenant, it brings eternal blessings and Jesus is the author of eternal salvation and eternal redemption, not something that's temporary from year to year. And the new covenant, it never is gonna get old. It's never going to disappear like the old. As a matter of fact, the, the, the Greek word here, new, means new in quality, not new in time. The new covenant is, is such a quality that it will never get old, it will never pass away. Now as I, I close this morning, I wanna go back to Hebrews chapter four, just, just very, very quickly. I know we've already been there, but I want you to see this just one more time. Hebrews chapter four, listen to these verses just quickly. He says, since then we have a great high priest, he's talking about Jesus, who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So what can we do? Let us then have confidence, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Since we have a better high priest in Jesus, he serves in a better place in heaven. And his new covenant is built on better promises. He tells us here in these verses, there's two things that we can do. We can hold fast to our confession. We can hold fast to the things that we believe. To hold firmly to them, to have a tight grasp on them. The, those words remind me of when my kids were little and we would take them swimming and I would have them in my arms and I would slowly start walking into the deep end of the pool. And as the water would rise and get higher and higher and my kids would get their head up as high as they could because the water was getting deeper and deeper, they would squeeze me as tight as they could. And they'd wrap their hands all the way and their arms all the way around my neck until they nearly squeezed the breath out of me. 
because they were holding tight to the thing that they thought could save them. And that's the picture here that we we get to, to hold tightly to our faith. The antidote to doubt is to hold firmly to our faith, to cling to those experiences that we've had in the past, where we've experienced God, where we've seen him meet our needs. But the second thing that he says that we can do is with confidence we can draw near to the throne of grace. I don't want you to miss these two things. Hold tightly, because we have a high priest whose ministry is better, where he serves is better, his covenant with us is better, his promises to us are better. They're not based on what we can do, they're based on what he does. And because all of that, we can hold tightly to our confession. We can hold tightly to our faith. But now we can come boldly with confidence to the throne of grace. In the Old Testament, they had to have this, this priest that was this go-between between them and, and God. And they would come to this priest and they would, give their, they would give their sacrifice and confess their sins. And the priest would go on their behalf to God. But they don't have to do that now. We don't have to do that now anymore. We can go boldly. In the Old Testament, the, uh, the high priest could only go into the presence of God once a year. And there was this huge curtain that separated the people from God. Three of the gospels report that at Jesus' death, the, 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 this, this curtain was miraculously torn, symbolizing that the divide between man and God was gone. And we can now go right into the presence of God. It's a powerful symbol for us. It demonstrates that Jesus is our high priest. He's gone ahead of us into that perfect temple, that perfect tabernacle. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's making intercession for us today. And we can boldly come into his presence. What are we going to find when we get there? I love this. He says, you're going to find mercy and grace. Man, I love that. Why do we so many times not go to God when we're struggling? Because we're afraid he's going he's to hammer us. Can't believe you messed up. I can't believe you did that. No, that's not what you find when you go to the throne of grace. You go and you find mercy and grace. You find just like the, the father's arms and the prodigal son, they're open. After God created this new covenant, we realized who the benefit was for. All the way back to the beginning of my message, I talked about terms and conditions. When the company that sold you whatever they sold you wrote terms and conditions, who do you think they were for the benefit of? The company, not you. The terms and conditions were for the benefit of that company so that you wouldn't sue them, so that you wouldn't come back on them, so that you wouldn't accuse them of anything. But the new covenant that God has with us is not for his benefit. It's for yours. And he has said, I know you're gonna mess up. I know you're gonna go away from me. I know you're gonna make mistakes. But when you come back to me, you're gonna find mercy. You're gonna find grace. This new covenant for your benefit. 
We ended our message last Sunday with Hebrews 7, verse 22, and, and, and I'm gonna close with the same verse again today. It says, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. Who makes all this happen? Jesus. Who guarantees the new covenant? Jesus. There, there's one theme in this book and it's Jesus. It's all about him. The story of Jesus is not a Bible story. We have the Bible because of the story of Jesus. You find mercy and you find grace in the new covenant. It's what the Hebrew writer talks about in chapter eight. I pray today with all of my heart that maybe you've been, you've been struggling with this guilt or you've been struggling with this unforgiveness. You've been struggling with this, I, I can't take this to God. Let me tell you something, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what, what you're struggling with, he's the great high priest. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's got a ministry that's better. He's got a covenant that's better. He's got promises that are better. And when you go to him, you'll find mercy and you'll find grace in your time of need. Father, thank you. We don't have to live in guilt. We don't have to live in despair. We don't have to live running from you. We don't have to live worried that the covenant's gonna be broken every time we mess up. We can live with confidence knowing that the covenant we have with you is it's based on your promises not based on our goodness or our good deeds or our works. Help us to remember, if nothing else today when we walk out of here, that we've got a great God that has a throne of mercy and grace that we can boldly go to at any moment. We're gonna sing this last song. It's our time to respond. We're gonna have encouragers down front in just a second, folks that would love to pray with you and pray for you. But in just a second, I'm gonna invite you to stand as we sing. Our encouragers will be down front. It's your opportunity to respond as God's spoken to you. Maybe today you need to go to that throne of mercy and grace, ask for forgiveness and know that you'll find it when you get there. Ask God to help you stop running from him and run to him everything about Jesus is better than anything else you could be after. If you don't know him as your personal savior, you could do that today. You can invite him right now to step out of heaven and step into your life. Be your personal Lord and savior. And he'd love to do that today. Father, hear us today as we sing to you. We respond to you. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. But now help us to act on what we've heard you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. 
Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.